The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast paced. I don't even know what to say about the Red Sox anymore. Honestly, I need to stop giving Sox predictions. Opinionated. Justin Fields will make the Patriots regret choosing Mac Jones. You just wait for it. To the point. The Pats are a run first team. Period. End of story. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. This is indeed the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and streaming online at WDEVradio.com. Boy, what a win that was last night for the Boston Red Sox. Ho-ho, did they desperately need that. A 12-2 romping of the Minnesota Twins. Uh, once we you know, once we kick right back into it, though, I'm going to tell you why I'm not exactly thrilled with the win, just as an overall you know, thought process, all that kind of good stuff. But we've got quite the show, guys. This is my last time I'm going to be hosting the Brady Farkas Show for, I, I guess, for the foreseeable future. Brady returns on Monday. I have been so, so grateful and so thankful for the opportunity that I have gotten here over this summer at WDEV. It has been definitely a one-of-a-kind experience and to everybody here, Steve Cormier, Lee Cattell, Greg, and of course Brady Farkas and the rest of the crew that works behind the scenes, I thank everybody so much for helping me make sure that my dreams of being a journalist one day come true. And uh, As a kid growing up and listening to WDEV on a nightly basis, trying to catch the Red Sox and Patriots, it really was a dream come true for me to step into this studio and give you guys my thoughts and my opinions as I work towards my goals of being one of the best in the industry. As always, you can get in on the Brady Farkas Show, the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026, 802-585-3026. For one more time with me behind the mic, let's get it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanson Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanson Lumber, online at sticksandstuff.com. I am still not satisfied with the Red Sox. They are 3-0 when Chris Sale starts, which is great, but it means only one guaranteed win in five games. The Sox allowed a combined 21 runs to the Minnesota Twins in three days. That is the last place Minnesota Twins. And that includes the two runs that they allowed just last night. And over the last six games, excuse me, over the last five games, they've allowed 35 runs. Oh, that's that's terrible. I'm very bad at quick math. But let's see how many times 5 goes into 35. 1, uh, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35. If they allowed 5 runs a game, they would hit that mark over 7 games. They did that in 5, allowing 35 runs in just 5 games. That's absolutely embarrassing. Again, that includes them only allowing 2 to the Twins last night. Last night was by far the most complete victory the Sox had since last Friday's 6-0 victory over the Rangers. And that was a game, you guessed it, that Chris Sale started. It falls back to every five days with this team. Sale being back and being on the staff is amazing. But we need this production 
when Sale's not on the mound. Because when it comes down to the one-game playoff, when it comes down to Sale versus Cole, Yankee Stadium, it's rocking. It's October. Fans are going to be passionate. TV is going to be at an all-time watching rate. We can get that win, but then we get to the DS, the ALDS against Houston, against Tampa Bay, against Chicago. Forget about it. That wild card game means absolutely nothing because you can't throw sale in all of those games. I cannot stress how disappointed I am in the team's overall performance. Somebody who I am not disappointed in is Bobby Dahlbeck. Long set, Gant delivers, the runner goes in first, and it swung at it high and deep to left center field. Back by the wall, and this ball is gone. Another three-run homer for the Red Sox. They lead it 3-0. Bobby Dahlbeck wasn't going to play originally. It was going to be Schwarber at first, but Bobby in the lineup. Hit that pitch high and deep, a moonshot just to the left side of the second light standard into the second row of the monster seats and that is home run number 15. Bobby Dahlbeck has been on a tear since August started it was a multi-hit game for him and uh, another Red Sox trying to get things going has been Raphael Devers he finally was able to do that last night and here's Raphael Devers and he hits one toward the Red Sox bullpen in right. Way back and gone. Into the bullpen. Caught out there by Hirokazu Sawamura. Rafael Devers. A two-run homer. He's driven in three tonight. And the route is on. The Red Sox now lead 10-2. As Devers goes deep for the 30th time this year, and he's now knocked in 94 runs, two behind the league leader, Jose Abreu of the Chicago White Sox. So I have been long calling Rafael Devers an MVP candidate. It seems as if he's kind of fallen out of that since he's been slumping for the last couple of weeks. Of course, he had that big hit against Texas earlier in the weekend, but I just I cannot see this team going far if they're going to only do this once every five games. I'll give you a, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. Chris Sale has made three starts. In those three starts, the Sox are 3-0, and and Sale has an ERA of just over two. In those three games, though, that, the, that Chris Sale has pitched, the Sox have scored 16, 6, and 12 runs. What the heck? Come on, guys. The rest of the series, or sorry, the rest of the season is going to be fairly easy for the Sox. They've got games, or they've got a couple series against Baltimore. They've got the Mets. They've got the Nationals. They've got Cleveland, who they're who they're coming up against tonight. It's just, it's not, it's. Oh, I, I, I'm having hard formula. I'm having a hard time formulating my words because at the end of the day, we want to see this kind of production for Chris Sale, but I want to see it for Erod and Pavetta and Avaldi, and for Hauk. Poor, poor Tanner Houck has an ERA under three. Poor guy can't get a win because the team does absolutely nothing in offensive support for him. This is why I'm frustrated. This is why it just reinforced that this team just has not been consistent enough for me to actually consider them postseason contenders. And at this point, if we can assume that they'll beat the Yankees in the wildcard game because well, Will Fleming, who we had on earlier in the week, said the Red Sox head-to-head, he thinks they're better. Then the Yankees now, of course, he's he's paid he, he's not paid to say it, but he is 
you know, he watches the team every single day. He he has the right to say that. I ah, I can't I can't see this team meaning too much. Excuse me, I can't see the team meaning too much. The season meaning too much because they can't get past scoring only when Chris Sale starts. It's absolutely embarrassing. So the rest of the way through, if Boston has 16 games against contenders, including the Mariners, Rays, Yankees, White Sox, if they can go 10-6 and six against those contenders in the last 16, I think we're golden. But you have to have an emphasis on taking at least two of three from the Yankees in September. That, go, that series is going to be at Fenway Park. I'm actually looking around for tickets right now for that series. So if anyone out there, you know, selling some tickets, contact Jack, WDEV. I don't have an email here. Maybe send them to Brady and have Brady send them over to me if Brady doesn't take them himself. So I'm kidding. I'm not going, I'm not begging for free Red Sox tickets. But the matter of the fact is they got to take two out of three from the Yankees in September and you got to go 10 and six against the contenders. You do that. We're fine. We're set. We just need to work our way to be home fielded for home field advantage in that series. The other team that we need to be rooting for late into October or, or sorry, late into September is the Baltimore Orioles. Not just because they've won two in a row and they blew out the Angels last night, but mainly because they have most of their games remaining are against AL East opponents. The Tampa Bay Rays, the New York Yankees. In particular, they have at least six games against both those teams. Can we please, please see Baltimore pull it together, give the Sox some some leeway so that they can come back and get that get that number one wild card? It's all I'm really asking for. You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and streaming online at WDEVradio.com. So Chris Sale, obviously, coming off of Tommy John surgery, did something last night that has only happened 106 times in Major League history. Did he strike out both Gordon and Simmons on three pitches? Immaculate inning. This has a chance if he can do it here. He did. Slider check swing, and it's strike three. Chris Sale strikes out the side on nine pitches. Yeah, Chris That Sale, was quick. Chris Sale threw an immaculate inning yesterday. The third time he's done that in his career. Here's Chris Sale after the game talking about how he thought he had the best stuff of the season. Yeah, I think that was the best best feel I've had for um, you know, my, my three pitch mix, you know, since, since I've come back. Um, you know, I'm really starting to kind of feel my mechanics out and able to kind of ride it out and, and you know, get into a groove and, and really kind of maintain it. I was watching some of the pitching highlights with my dad last night after Chris Sale was pulled. That slider's looking sharp. And it's looking sharp against Miguel Sano, big home run hitter. Josh Donaldson, big home run hitter. Chris Sale, he could really bring this team around. I I just they just got to win when he's not pitching. They got to they got to not allow runs when he's pitching when he's not pitching. Get in on the Napa Mooresville Napa Waterbury tax line 802-585-3036. We are going to toss it to a break. And I so mad at myself that I didn't tease this when we opened the show. But if you follow me on Twitter, which do that by the way, you would understand that we I have just given the biggest interview of my life. Vermont's own Buster Olney. He's stopping by in about two and a half minutes. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and streaming online 
at WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. BFS on a Friday continues right here. Jack Maine sitting in for Brady as he continues his vacation. Today I'm going to assume that he's... Uh, He's trying to find some snow out in Colorado. You know, they have snow almost year-round out there nowadays. We're here in the middle of baseball season, though, and there is no man to talk to better than ESPN's Buster Only in the middle of baseball season. He joins us now via the phone line. Buster, thanks for being here. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Good to talk with you. Absolutely. So, you know, we're, we're the Red Sox radio network affiliate for Vermont, so we got to start there. And it's just been such a struggle for the Sox these past couple of weeks, and, and it's been really the, the bullpen. Matt Barnes and Adam Onovino and Hansel Robles just not performing up to specs. I mean, do you feel like that this kind of falls back on the players, on Alex Cora, on Heim Bloom? What's your take on that situation? Yeah, I mean, you start with the players. I mean, obviously, uh, I think Matt Barnes would be the first one to say, you know, that he's not executing his fastball as well as he should. Uh, his fastball command has been off, and that that's at the root of the problem. And, I mean, it's true with all bullpens. Once your closer starts that problem, then the dominoes fall from there, and it creates other problems. You know, the, the uh, Yankees are somewhat going through the same thing with Aroldis Chapman uh, with, with his situation not pitching well in the ninth inning. But I also believe that they didn't do enough before the trade deadline. I was shocked, um, you know, that there were four uh, among the four contenders in the American League East with the Red Sox in first place at the deadline. Uh, they were the least aggressive team, and, and that to me was a mistake. Uh, you know, the Yankees went out and they got Joey Gallo and they got Anthony Rizzo and they got help for their bullpen. We saw the Blue Jays, you know, be aggressive, uh, going out and getting Jose Barrios. We saw the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, trade for Nelson Cruz. And so for the Red Sox in the end, it, and, and, and look, Kyle Schwarber is a really nice offensive player to get a player who didn't fit perfectly into what they needed um, uh, is someone who couldn't, you know, is not necessarily have uh, much experience at first base and did not add bullpen help. That was a surprise to me. I thought they would be more aggressive because obviously they've been one of, they had been one of baseball's best surprises going into you know, the trade deadline period. If you are. Alex Cora, and you're talking to this team that just hasn't been performing up to standards. What is the message that you're giving the guys to try to rally them and make this postseason push? Well, I mean, it's going to sound cliche, but I think it's absolutely uh, right. And the you know teams that I covered, uh, you know, dating back to you know the Orioles or the the Mets or the you know the, those championship teams with the Yankees. I think this is the time of the year you really have to focus. Uh, you know, day by day. Um, you can look ahead to the schedule and say this team has an advantage or maybe that team has an advantage, but it just comes down to, you know, who's going to play well in a moment. Right now the Yankees are playing really well and they're gathering momentum. You know, Tampa Bay, despite its issues, are um, with, uh, you know, starting pitching and Tyler Glasnow going out this year. They're obviously, you know, faring well. Uh, and the question's going to be for the Red Sox, can they match that? Definitely, and it was surprising that Boston, they, you know, Heim has been pushing this message, you know, ever since he got here. We're, we want to contend now, and we want to also play for the future. 
I just don't see that as a feasible plan to be able to to plan for the future and also be a World Series contender from year to year. I want to know, you know, your thoughts on on those on those on that philosophy that Heim Bloom has and if it is at all possible to do what he aspires to do as the Red Sox president of baseball ops. I think he's really smart. I think he's a great guy and my one of my questions that I have is whether or not he understands fully understands the emotionalism of Boston. Um, you know, and I think Philadelphia is the same way. I think uh, New York can be the same way. Uh, look, you know, he used to work with the Tampa Bay Rays, a team that at the trade deadline, you know, if they didn't do anything, it wasn't like there was a big uproar in the city. Uh, you, you know, you have one beat writer covering the team and, and the great Mark Topkin. But besides that, there's not a lot of media. In Boston, it's very different. And if you have an opportunity to win the division, especially this year when, you know, there were such low expectations for the team coming into the year, um, whatever plans you had going into the year for focusing on, on the, the minor leagues, at some point when you get to the trade deadline, then you need to step out and make trades. I was shocked that they were not the team to get Anthony Rizzo, who, you know, would have been even more of a perfect fit for the Red Sox and what they needed than he's been for the Yankees. And, and I, I, I was so surprised that, uh, you know, and just doing reporting on it, that they were not even close on, on getting Rizzo. Um, again, you know, the context would be important because they're a first-place team. And I think if you have that advantage, I think you have to do everything you can to defend, uh, defend that spot. Speaking on the trade deadline, there was a report that came out, and it, was, and it ended up being refuted by Red Sox uh, management that there was push from the ownership for the Sox to try out and uh, to try and go acquire Max Scherzer. Do you buy that? Do you think that was do you think that was something that was passed down from the from the head honchos at the Sox? I would not at all be surprised if the word came down like look go and explore this. I will tell you that um, and, and let's face it uh, when you look at the history of general managers uh, with the Red Sox, it's pretty clear that the ownership with, the, with Boston can get in, really involved. You know, John Henry doesn't have the reputation of someone like a George Steinbrenner in the past or Steve Cohen of the Mets now, but given the fact that he, uh, you know, uh, got rid of Ben Charrington because they weren't winning and then got uh, dumped Dave Dombrowski even after he won a championship, it tells you. He's ready to be aggressive, and Scherzer was the best available starting pitcher. He would have been a great addition. You know, the one question, and I don't know the answer to it, um, Scherzer had a full no-trade clause. Would Scherzer have wanted to go pitch as he headed into free agency this fall in the American League East? A lot of times, older pitchers that I've you know talked to through the years, I think most famously Greg Maddox was the one who, who gave voice to this, they don't want to pitch in that uh, in that particular division. They know that they could get beat up. They'd rather pitch in the shorter lineups of the National League. That's definitely an, an interesting comment. We're talking with Buster only of ESPN. Buster, you, you grew up in Vermont. I got to ask, how often are you coming back and visiting your homeland here? Well, I was actually there last week. Uh, my family, uh, all my family is in Vermont. There are all my three of my siblings, my stepfather, we all live in Vermont. we we uh, rent the same place in Lake George every year. So last week I was actually across at a farm stand at Fairhaven uh, getting getting stuff, and I'll be up in the fall. Uh, you know, I, I still uh, own property, part of the, the, the family dairy farm in, uh, in, in Randolph Center, Vermont. Um, 
you know, and I love talking to you on this particular station because this was a station I listened to every day. I was not a Red Sox fan growing up. I was a big fan of the Dodgers, okay. but because we didn't have a television, uh, that uh, you know that that was the station I listened to when I was when I was growing up at night and following those teams of uh, Fred Lynn and Jim Rice and and uh, Dwight Evans. Uh, and that's how I learned baseball, listening to Ned Martin and Jim Woods. Well, it's a station that I also grew up listening to, and I have been so lucky to work for this past summer. You know, I was going to ask you about the Dodgers thing, because you know that saying, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Well, on the internet, it indeed says that you grew up a fan of the L.A. Dodgers. How how did that... You grew up in New England, man. The Sox, the Yankees. <laughs> how did how the heck did you end up out west? Well, I, I read a book on Sandy uh, about Sandy Koufax, uh, when I was eight years old, and it just so happened that, uh, and my family was in Woodstock when I when this happened, and then my first little league team was actually in Woodstock, Vermont, before my folks moved to to Randolph Center, um, and then my first little league team was the Dodgers, which just reinforced the connection with the Dodgers. Um, and so, whenever they would come east, or if one of the you know teams uh, like the the Mets or the Phillies or the Pirates could, would go west. I would catch all the Dodgers games on the radio that I possibly could. Uh, I was a crazy Dodger fan to the point that if you look at my old high school yearbook, uh, and it was the worst argument that I ever had with my mother who wanted me in a coat and tie, I was actually in a Dodgers cap and a Lakers t-shirt. Oh my goodness. That's yeah. that's absolutely beautiful. So, uh, you know, secretly on the side... When Manny Ramirez gets traded to the Dodgers, and then more recently Mookie Betts getting traded to the Dodgers, was that kind of a fist bump moment for you? Not at all. Uh, it's funny; it totally goes away uh, once you start covering, prof- you know, professionally. I started covering the the Triple A Nashville Sounds in 1989, and, and it was amazing how quickly it just that part evaporated to the point that I tell my son, who is a you know growing up here in New York. I don't know how he's a weird kid, you know, follows me. Uh, he is a fan of the Tennessee Titans, the Charlotte Hornets, and the Atlanta Braves. Oh, my gosh. Okay? Uh, and, and I just love his passion. I'm kind of jealous of him. And I told him that. Like, I wish that I, I still could be that fan. Now, I have it to, uh, to a high degree for the Minnesota Vikings. I'm trying to defend that. And, and while my alma mater, Vanderbilt, is uh, involved in any games, I get excited about that, too. But I, I truly it, – it, the you know the rooting for baseball teams it just completely goes away once you start getting into it. Well, Buster only of ESPN, we really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Thanks for representing Vermont proud and in the small group of journalists trying to make it out, including myself. Well, I appreciate it, Jack. Absolutely, Buster only. Oh my God, what a dream come true that was. Buster's a guy I've been watching on television since I was a kid. You know, he's obviously, he's national broadcast, he's on ESPN, he's on Sunday Night Bait, like, just just the absolute guy, and Brady likes to have what we call the Friday Diamond Discussion. Well, I think I just had the Friday Diamond Discussion of the year. I'm going to flex that a little bit. All right, listen up, folks. We've got about two minutes until we have to hit the top of the hour. We're going to get to some Buster takeaways. The staff is working on cutting that up as we speak. Um, and I, I, and before we head to break, I, I want to go over uh, a little of something that we did yesterday. So uh, we talked to Freddie Coleman. Freddie Coleman was on yesterday. He was on the pre-recorded version of the show.
And I, out of all the guys that I was interviewing this week, and every single one of them was awesome. Everyone from CJ to Will to Ian Brown to Buster, and then to Freddie uh, just yesterday. I, 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 I'm sticking with this one thing in my head, and it's that he doesn't believe that Cam Newton has been overtaken by Mac Jones. I'm, I'm still questioning that. I'm still questioning that. We're gonna get. We're gonna talk about that on the other side of the break as well. Because when we come back from break, I'm gonna talk about some of my most favorite memories. Or uh, that was not great English. Some of my favorite memories from WDEV while I was here. We're gonna go over some of the old things that we that I used to do and I still do that upset Brady to this moment. You are listening to WDEV AM and FM. And streaming online at WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know, one of the perils of making money is you can afford to be dramatic. Y'all some drama queens for real. That's what Drake would say. I love this song. It's like such a great return. My last return before I head out of the booth and Brady takes it back over on a Monday. Drake's been so inspirational for me. He kind of got me through my senior year of high school, that was. And uh, I don't know if he ever drops his newest album. We'll see if he gets me through my senior year of college. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I'm in my last seven minutes of talking on the WDEV airwaves. The support for this has just been absolutely outstanding. Um, I'm going to get to some of my favorite moments of my summer and my summer at WDEV uh, very shortly. But before we do that, we're going to go ahead and we're going to break down Freddie Coleman from yesterday and then Buster only, and then we'll get to some of those favorite moments. So yesterday, Freddie Coleman was on the show, uh, and we talked about the Sony Michelle trade, and we also talked about how far Mac Jones is from taking Cam Newton's place as the Patriots' starting quarterback. First, the trade, because that was the most pressing news. He said that this was great work by Bill Belichick, and we're talking specifically about Michelle to the Rams, not necessarily the two picks that went to go get Sean Wade from the Baltimore Ravens, but he said that this trade was a win-win for the Pats and the Rams. Bill Belichick has always been about trying to acquire as many draft picks as possible because they do such a great a great job of scouting so many different players where they try to find players and they unearth them, Jack, from rocks here trying to find those diamonds in the rough. So the more lower draft picks that he can have in the later rounds. That is completely a gold coin situation for Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. A gold situation for Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. He's absolutely right. Freddie Coleman is one of the best in the business, and he's absolutely right in this instance as well. Because the Patriots, they go and they get those late round draft picks that they value so much. Think about any budding star on the Patriots and what round they were drafted in. Or if they were drafted at all. Danny Amendola, late rounder. Hogan, undrafted. Brady, six rounder. That's easy. Gronk, second rounder. Matt Slater, going to be a Hall of Famer. Seventh rounder, sixth rounder, something like that. Bill does not go after those first rounders. Kyle Duggar, he was a Division II football player. He took him in the second round. Everyone thought he was crazy. All of a sudden, looking like a, a, an MVP, defensive MVP of the, of the team. Great. Chase Winovich, third rounder. Only Dante Hightower and Isaiah Wynn are the only first rounders on this team that I can think of that have stuck around and played as well as they have. 
those are the two guys that I really can think of as as solid, solid first-rounders for the Patriots. It's great work by Bill. He plays chess. Everyone else plays checkers. All right, Buster only. We just had him on. Absolutely outstanding guest. He's so awesome. One of the best in the business. That's why he's as big as he is. He comes back and talks to us small people from time to time to make sure that we stay, that he knows that he stays interested in the state of Vermont. He listened to this station as a kid growing up, following the Red Sox. He was a Dodgers fan, though. Buster was a Dodgers fan. That I find hard to believe. However, um, I found it extremely interesting that he said Heim Bloom doesn't, isn't connecting with the fans. I think he's really smart. I think he's a great guy. And my one of my questions that I have is whether or not he understands, fully understands the emotionalism of Boston. Um, you know, and I think Philadelphia is the same way. I think uh, New York can be the same way. Uh, look, you know, he used to work with the Tampa Bay Rays, a team that at the trade deadline, you know, if they didn't do anything, it wasn't like there was a big uproar in the city. <sighs> Crazy. Heim Bloom's not connecting with the fans. At some point, there has to be a sense of here and now. You can't keep building up this farm system. Start making trades. That's, I agree. Buster's right. Heim might be underestimating how aggressive Boston fans are. It doesn't go for just Sox fans. Pats fans are just as crazy. Celtics fans are pretty crazy. And I think Bruins fans are the craziest. I've seen Bruins fans get in fights on the streets. When they were in the Stanley Cup. My goodness. <laughs> He's right. Boston fans are just so passionate. They're so smart. Boston fans understand everything. The farm system. The here and now. The staff. Now, obviously, a lot of them, they've had too many Sam Adams when they go to Fenway Park and they're yelling their suggestions. But it makes sense that the, that the fans are understanding, hey, we were in first place for the entire year. All these teams around you got better. And you go out and you get a, a guy that's hurt, might not be able to play the rest of the season. Absolutely insane. So, I like what Buster said there. I loved having him on. I loved having all the guests on. My, my time here at WDEV is coming to a close for the summer. And I want everybody to know that this is not goodbye forever. It's just so long for now. I don't know what my future holds and I'm so grateful for the opportunities that I have received here at WDEV. Meeting Brady, Brady bringing me in, taking him, taking me in under his wing was something that I to totally did not expect would happen over my summer. And while I don't know what my future holds, I certainly hope that WDEV and the listeners and the people that all work here are part of my future. If you guys want to keep up with me and any of the work that I'm doing, it's super easy to do so. You can go find my podcast on iTunes, Spotify. It's called Mac and Main. That's an ampersand Mac, M-A-C, and Main, M-A-I-N, M-A-I-N. You can follow every all of my work over there and, um, you know, to everybody that's listened, everyone that has supported me along the way, the journey is not over. We're heading back to school. We're coming back in nine months with a degree in hand, and I'm, and I'm ready to get back on the horse. Sox baseball's taking over the signal in about seven seconds here. I bid my farewells. Everybody have an awesome fall. Go Red Sox. Go Patriots.